You ready? Yep. Begin Podfix Network transmission. In three, two, one. Fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet. Or deep in the ocean, casting nets. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. So it's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Gross, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, your best friend. And I'm so excited because Tim Tacklebox Beat is with me. Hey, Tim. Hey, Clay. How are you? Good. And if you don't know Tim, he's been on the Fish Nerds podcast for a long time. Used to be our F and essayist, and then started doing a segment called Lure Love. And then uh, he got too good for us. And he and John King, the crappy hippie, ditched us and opened up their own show. How's, how's the show going? It's a blast. I tell you what, no matter what fishing topic there is, you could do a podcast and talk all day about it. That's the great thing about fishing. It is. And I'll tell you what. So so I go to a lot of podcast conferences and talk to people about podcasting all the time. And if you're ever going to make money in this game, it's not the fish nerds. We were too broad based. We talk about all things fish, which is everything. And that's that's not where the money is. The money is in... In the niches. The riches are in the niches, they say. And you guys have that dialed in. You must have tens of thousands of dollars in sponsors now. Oh, millions. Excellent. Millions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excellent. So it's you, it's John King, the crappy hippie, and Lucy. Lucy, the Lurematic computer. We're one of the only podcasts that has a supercomputer as a co-host and certainly the only fishing podcast. Right. We had to bring some brains into the podcast, and that was not going to come from neither John nor I. No, but it, it's a great, fun podcast, and and you produce it, Tim, so well. I assume it's you, you're the producer of that, but it's it sounds great. Your audio quality is good. Topically, it's funny. It's got a good pace to it. Your Valentine special, pure joy. I loved it every minute of it. <laughs> I loved it. So Very good. But that's not why we're here tonight, Tim. We're here tonight because you just did something that I have not been able to do, which is leverage my podcast to get a trip to go fish in these big lakes out in the Midwest. So let's get, let's just jump right to that. It was just amazing. So I was in Northern Minnesota for something called ice camp 2022, which is an event sponsored by the association of great lakes, outdoor writers. I'm a member of that group and um, they sponsored it along with Riverbend resort where we stayed and Lake of the woods tourism. And then two tackle companies, Al's Goldfish Lures, which is up by you in Maine, and then St. Croix Rod. So we were there to learn about the area, but also to test the gear at the same time. Right. And by the way, in your recent podcast, I heard an interview with Al's Goldfish. So you've, you're kind of cycling full circle here. Yeah, it was it was very cool. We got to know the uh, the owners. I love we both John and I. We love when you have these old iconic brands, and then you get new blood, new owners, and they're trying to revive it because it really is. Al's is a great product, and um, we slayed the fish using Al's Goldfish so much so that everybody in the bar was asking us, you know, what did you catch them on? And they were kind of running out to get them, partly because gold is the color for Lake of the Woods. Oh, that's a, and well, a lot of people don't know this. Like, like you think whatever works for your fish on your body of water is going to work somewhere else, and it's not always the case. Sometimes there's very specific things the fish dial in on. Yeah, absolutely. Based on the the color. So one of the things that's unique about Lake of the Woods is usually you catch walleye at night. It's a night bite because they have very good vision and they're light sensitive and they can sneak up on their prey. But at Lake of the Woods, the water is stained with tannins. 
So they feed all during the day, but you need that flash to get through the tannins because you're fish, fishing at, you know, 30, 35 feet. Mm-hmm. So you went out to Lake of the Woods and this is like, I follow this stuff on Facebook. Lake of the Woods is like one of the destination fishing things to do. Like it's, it's like the thing there's, a, there's, it's everything. It was incredible. So I hadn't been ice fishing since I moved from Massachusetts to Ohio 25 years ago. And the reason was in Ohio, the ice is just too sketchy for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's five, six inches. When I was growing up, we went ice fishing all the time. You'd have 24 inches. Well, we were fishing on 40 inches of ice at Lake of the Woods in Northern Minnesota. And when I got off the plane in International Falls, the big sign there reads the ice box of the nation. because Whoa. They have the coldest temperatures. Our first day there, minus 36. Oh, good God. But I, you know what? Mm. We never felt cold. Everything, you know, they're they're used to having everything heated. So the car seats are heated, your steering wheel, you know, everywhere you go. It has to be. So I was I was surprised. Every all the fishing huts in houses are heated. So we you go into one of those, you have to strip off all your layers because you're so you're just hot in there. Um, but we, we so we get into International Falls and we drive an hour to Bedette. And um, we stopped at the Willy, Wa- the Willy Walleye statue, which is a 5,000-pound, 40-foot-long walleye statue that's been there since 1959. And they just kind of rehabbed it. It's this massive thing because they call themselves the walleye capital of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, I, you never really felt cold while you were there um, at all. But it's a massive, massive fishery. And this is it was unlike any place I've ever been. You know how you go some places, you fish on a new lake. And it's kind of new, but it just looks like all the other lakes. This place looked like no place I'd ever been. So let me describe it a little bit. Um, You actually have kind of three separate fisheries there. You have the Rainy River flows from Rainy Lake 60 miles to Bedette. Mm -hmm. And then it it goes out 12 miles north into Lake of the Woods. And um, so the Rainy River that we had to cross to get into the, the lake across the ice that's a great fishery in its own right. But the um, the big Traverse Bay, Lake of the Woods, is 30 miles by 20 miles. That's monstrous. So it's almost like a great lake. And it's about 32 feet, the entire thing. There's no structure in it. It's one big bowl. And then the other thing that I didn't realize is there's a place called the Northwest Angle. It's the northernmost part of the contiguous United States. And the only way to get there is by boat or to drive through Canada first. And we didn't, we didn't go there, but there's more than 14,000 islands in there. And so it was funny. Catch it, it's, everything. it's so funny. Cause I, I, I ice fish in New Hampshire and we're full of small ponds, a couple of big lakes, but I mostly hit the small ponds. So trying to visualize a lake that's big enough to have that many islands on it. My brain can't even, can't even go there. You don't even get a sense for it. So there's 4,000 people that live in the county and there's 4,000 people on the ice every day, Mm. but it never seems crowded. And the reason is each resort plows their own road. So our, our resort and the couple resorts nearby, they get together. They have a plow, a 20 mile ice road going out. And then you get these like side streets that go off it and all, all of them do this. So you really felt pretty spread out. And the ice houses, I had no, we were fishing in something that it, it looks like, you know, it's a big box. It has a propane heater in it and benches and coat hooks. It's very comfortable, but they have these things called ice castles. I've seen those. It's an RV with hydraulics. So it lowers down to the ice. Like just and sits so right on it. Out yeah. there 
and they, they fish for, you know, three or four days at a time. They have, you know, recliners in there and stoves and, um, beds and all kinds of big things screen there. TVs. Yeah. I've seen yeah. it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It just yeah. barely and, it, compared to what I do. I'm so rustic. I feel like I'm, I'm roughing it out here. Well, you couldn't fish outside there. I mean, you could some of the year, but so I only saw two pop-ups the entire time I was there. Everybody else has these big um, fish houses and our resort manages 40 of them. So they have guides. Your guide brings you out, teaches you the, the tips, checks back in. If you want to order pizzas in the morning, they'll deliver pizzas to your ice house. It's just crazy. That's amazing. It's a, it's a whole world you don't think about at all. And, and unless you see it, like I, I can, I'm just having a trouble, like even just conceptualizing the fact that that world exists and with that oh, much I, ice, I mean, you said 40 inches of ice. Yeah. 40 inches. I don't think it's, my auger can make a hole through 40 inches of ice. I didn't see them drill any of these because you go in the fish house and the, you know, they stay there, but I'll tell you what's crazy about it. I had no idea about this. You have to move the ice houses every week, right? Or they'll sink. No, they won't sink. They'll freeze to the ice because the inside's warm. If your heat goes out mm -hmm. and we saw one. So what they, the way they get them out is they have to jack up each corner, break it from the ice and move it. And we saw a couple missing walls because somebody let it freeze and they tried to pull out and they pull the wall right off. They tear them. right off them. No, but they, yeah. Tim, they will sink if with the heat thaw cycle, they'll sink like a millimeter at a time as they freeze oh, the yeah. ice. They freeze the ice first and then slowly sink in. I've seen them. I've, I've lost one. I've lost a camper that way, but out there, they're so much bigger, and they and and the sun will hit them too and reflect heat off them, and they'll sink just a millimeter at a time. And yeah, uh, you're exactly right. And then what happens is when they sink down, and if the heater goes out, all that water freezes, and so it's just locked, totally locked in. But the ice houses that we were in, you could fish six people. Everybody had two holes, so you could have, uh, you know, you could be jigging one, you could have a dead stick, you could put your flashers in. It was just crazy. It sounds like a blast. So you, yeah. so you. They estimate that there are 10 million walleye in there. 10 million. That, that's all the walleye. Because I've, I've only caught maybe two, three walleye in my whole life. And never ice fishing. So did you go walleye fishing? Did you try to catch one? So they say, you, while you're fishing for walleye and, uh, and sager, so sager are like a walleye, about a little smaller and great eating. The crazy thing is there, there's sager, there's bass, pike, Tulabi, which is like a white fish, um, eel pout that you catch up in uh, up in uh, New Hampshire right, too. We call them cusk and burbot up here, right? Um, jumbo perch, sturgeon, <laughs> and and um, other species. So the the great thing about it is, almost all day you're catching sager, and which are great eating their fun. But at any time, you could hook into just a monster walleye or pike, and so it's a great place to bring a family because the kids are entertained all day and you're catching great eating fish. And at the same time with the same lures, you could hook into just a monster. That's amazing. It's always fun too, to like have that surprise fish come through the hole. And, and I'm, I, that sounds like my kind of fishing too, Tim. Cause like, I have a lot of friends who like, like my friend Vinny, he, he's a lake trout guy and he will jig a hole six hours for one lake trout. And I won't do it. I can't do it, but I will jig a hole for six hours, if I caught dozens of bluegill and the occasional lake trout, I'm in. And it sounds like that kind of fishing, my kind of fishing. 
That's exactly how I feel too. It was fun the whole day. The only thing that was interesting is, um, and I haven't been ice fishing in a while. So we're testing out the, the Al's goldfish because they're plated with 22 karat gold. They have that shine and they have a lot of these gold lures that have some fluorescent on them. So they did really well in, in kind of breaking through that stained water. But one of the things I didn't realize, so um, we're fishing with these St. Croix ice rods, and they brought a whole bunch of them there for us to test, is how light some of these bites were. And you're de- fishing down 35 feet. And um, so with the St. Croix rods, I didn't realize that when they're manufactured, they're actually rolled. They're not different segments. Mm-hmm. So they're super sensitive. And we were holding these rods on just on your index finger, right, right in so front you of can, the reel. You can feel it, yeah. Yeah. And you could, what a difference just holding on that one finger, you could feel the smallest bite. And sometimes the fish were soft. Other times you'd see them on the flasher and one of these saugers would swim 20 feet and just nail the thing. It was, it, yeah, it was just so unpredictable, but it was yeah. never boring. Isn't it fun when you're watching a flasher and you see that light fl- shine up towards your jig and you're like, oh, that's, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Up. And then you try to set the hook, anticipate, like anticipate that bite and just yank back and set the hook and you get them and pure joy. Yeah, it, yeah. it was great. Just a ball. The, the funniest thing, because the holes were, uh, 40 inches about mm-hmm. sometimes you put the fish in and the fish couldn't find its way back down. We it was like lost in there and you have to kind of push it and say, Hey, swim down, swim down. Cause it, the fish couldn't even believe it. It felt like it was in a little ice room. Right. Well, we see that even on like right now we're on 18 inches of ice and we have perch that can't get turned around. They can't figure out how to get, how to get to the water. So I can imagine 40 inches. I can imagine fish dying in that hole trying to get down. We, yeah, we had one that we put down and then it came up one of the other holes. And we thought, man, you get, don't have a very good sense of direction. You're going to get back down to the bottom. You just go into the light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Tim, you were talking about the light bite on fish. Now, I have, you know, back in the old days, Dave Kelman and I used to go fishing and we would jig using underwater cameras, not flashers. And we always jigged using uh, like a teardrop jig with a maggot on it. And we were jigging one day using the camera and we were watching fish come up and you were holding the rod in your hand doing the one finger trick like you were talking about. And you can see fish taking the bait. You know they're taking the bait. You can't feel a thing, like nothing. And so you almost get get used to just assuming, like visualizing the fish sucking the bait in the mouth, spitting it out, and just kind of setting the hook every so often. We even saw, you'll love this story, we even saw a pickerel come in and stare at our jig with the maggot on it. And then we watched him nip off the maggot without even moving the jig. He just slowly... Bit the net maggot right off the hook. Like really? Just delicate, delicate, delicate. Yeah. Now, one of the St. Croix rods, and I didn't get a chance to fish with this one. And I forget what they call it. I think it might have been called a spring bobber. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it, it was a, like this little tiny spring on the tip of the rod with a little plastic round piece that you could look at mm-hmm. that was even more sensitive than the rod. And you could, you could see the minnow swimming, going up and down, but you could really detect very soft bites. So have you fished with that before? We do use spring barbers on occasion. Um, I find they, they're hard to, especially the ones that are made with real springs. It's very hard to get the string through the spring when you're, when you're putting the rod together. And if you fish right. with as many different people as I do, you're always untying things. So I don't like the spring bobbers of the spring, but they do make them with it that are like a wire with a hoop on the end. And you can, that's pretty easy. And I got about four rods with those on them. If I have kids who can't dial in the bite, I'll put a spring bobber in their hand and it totally makes a big difference. Yeah. It's so super sensitive, Mm -hmm. but yeah, the whole thing was a ball. And then they kept telling us about this place called the Igloo Bar. Yes. I've seen this on YouTube a million times. 
I thought they were joking. They said, there's a bar on the ice. So I'm thinking, this is like a fish house that we're in. And they bring in a case of beer. So we go there. They bring it out in three pieces. You can probably get 100 people in there. Has very high sailings, has tables, and has an ATM. You can get order pizza and food. They have sweatshirts. So you sit down at one of the tables and um, somebody says, the minnow bucket's under the ATM. I said, what do you mean? Well, you just pick up a board in the floor and you can, they have rattle reels there, or you can bring in your jigging rod and you can fish while you're having a beer. And the biggest fish this year that was caught in February, a 38 inch pike through the bar floor. How cool is that? That's incredible. Yeah. Did you have a beer? They said the only problem is if you lose the fish and the bar is crowded, you will get heckled the rest of the night. And deservedly. Now, did you, did you um, fish through the floor there yourself? One of the guys did. We that was at the end of the day, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he didn't get anything. He saw some fish because he brought in his flasher too. But things like that, it was like a whole nother world. It was like going to Disney World for me, but better. Oh, that is that's amazing. It's it's you just went on my dream trip. Like I've seen that that igloo bar on YouTube a million times, and I've always thought someday I'm going to make it out there. And then when you told me you were going out there. With this writing group, I was like, you're kidding me. Like, you nailed it. That's a win. Big win. Congratulations. That's so cool. And you get a kick out of this. So at the Igloo Bar, they have two outhouses. Mm -hmm. And they decided to heat the women's outhouse. That's friendly. So they, uh, but they had to heat the men's because the men's would no longer use the men's. The men's were using the women's room. So they have two, they have propane tanks. So they have the only heated bathrooms that I saw out there on the ice. That's amazing. (laughs) Could (laughs) Could you fish in them? You could, but you wouldn't like what you caught in that hole. Brown trout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's amazing. And you record some audio. Are you going to include that on your podcast? You're going to edit that up and, and do a bit? Yeah. I actually um, I, I actually shared a room while I was there with uh, Todd Carrere, who lives in Rhode Island. They call him the fish rap writer. He writes um, some fishing reports and he writes for On the Water. Great guy. And he actually has worked with Al's. And um, created his own saltwater owls goldfish for stripers. Wow. Is it big, and, is know, I, a bigger, I, fatter version? Yeah. It's it's about an ounce and a quarter, I think. And um, it, it, it's green and has some spots on it like a bunker. But you were talking about catching stripers through the ice. Mm-hmm. He, he was catching stripers in his kayak on January 1st in big stripers. That's amazing. He he thinks because of global warming, they're not going south as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so he he knew all kinds of stuff, and um, so uh, got a chance to talk to him. One of our guides, Alex Peterson, who's a big sturgeon guide too. He comes into our hut one day. He says, "Anybody want any pickled walleye?" So he makes his own pickled walleye. Amazing, just delicious. So everything about up there, it's, I just so highly recommend it. Um, the Riverbend Resort, we got to have a couple beers with the owners there. They do this year-round, super friendly. They have their own bar and restaurant, great food. And the funny thing is there's no fish on the menu. If you want fish, you have to catch them. They'll clean them, and then they serve them to you. So every night we ate some of the best fish I'd ever had, and their tartar sauce has dill in it. Oh, uh, that's nice. It, that's, it I've was had that. excellent. It was really good. So, yeah, every, everything about the trip. I can't wait to go back there. I'd like to go back for the ice, but I'd also like to go back in the summer. Well, of course. I mean, with that many walleye in a body of water in Saga, it's, there's there's no end to fun you can have there. So that sounds great. And um, the idea of, by the cook, of restaurants that cook your fish for you, there's not nearly enough of those around. You know, I saw them in New Orleans when I went there for a fishing trip once. 
as far as I know, there's none in New Hampshire because I think there's rules about different kinds of food you could bring into a restaurant from the outside. So every state has their own rules and regulations. And there's some loophole rules where some states, uh, they can't, you can't, they can't sell you freshwater fish. You're not allowed to buy or sell freshwater fish. So they'll treat the fish for you and you'll buy your sides. So you can, they can cook the fish for you, but they can't sell you that cooked fish but they can sell you a baked potato and the rice or whatever goes with it. That's kind of what they do. So they bring your fish in and clean them for free. And then you pay $6 for them to cook the fish, not mm-hmm. for the fish. Right. And then they give you all the sides. And I tell you, we just ate like Kings. The, it, the food there was so good. Yeah, it's, that sounds amazing. Well, so let's talk about cooking fish for a minute because you ate, you ate, a, lot, ate a lot of them. I assume you ate walleye and sager mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So give us your, the best version of a walleye you ate it was just some of the mildest fish so they their batter was light mm-hmm. wasn't what it didn't overpower um at all so you really tasted the fish but it was just so mild and delicate it was you know if, if somebody who didn't even like fish because it's too fishy not that at all and that combined with the dill which i had never had before was out of this world. Yeah. They say walleye is among the best table fish for fresh water. There is. Did you happen to know, did you eat the cheeks? I, I don't know. I did not see any pieces that were small, like the mm-hmm. cheeks, but I, but I'm sure that they, they took out the cheeks. Yeah. The guys cleaning the fish were really experts. Yeah. Those cheeks, have you eaten the cheeks? Before? I have. And they come out like little scallops in there, like a, a little sweeter, more tender. That's, theoretically, I, I, you know, in a blind taste, I probably wouldn't know the difference, but I thought they were better. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like it's a little scallop in the cheek of, a, of, of it. I've only had uh, maybe three walleye. I've caught all three. And, and, then, and the last one I caught was in 2011. It's been a long time since I've seen a walleye. There's no walleyes around here. Right. So I'm, I'm a little fish jealous. That's amazing. Now, yep. now I, I, can we talk about cooking fish? I, I went and cooked a lake trout recently. Mm-hmm. So when you came out here, we cooked a lake trout. Right. Uh, Zoe and I made fish cakes out of it. And so we went lake trout fishing on Super Bowl Sunday. And I caught a lake trout on a uh, on my, the very first jig I've ever tied myself. I caught a lake trout on. So uh, on a, a bucktail. It was, it was just ugly. It was a, just the worst looking jig I've ever seen. And it caught a, it was a 20 inch lake trout. So I was pretty pleased with that. Yeah. And, I, did, and I, didn't, I didn't have 300 yards of uh, lead cord to reel it in with. I just used. <laughs> <laughs> regular old monofilament worked great. So, <laughs> so really, man, and, and because of Super Bowl Sunday, we decided to make buffalo lake trout balls. And so basically, I just took all the lake trout. And I, you can use a spoon to pull meat from bones on fish. It works really well. You can get all the meat off. So I took all that, threw it in a bowl, and a handful of breadcrumbs, an egg, lots of salt, pepper, garlic, and chili powder, uh, I shredded an onion, put that in there, and then you start making balls. And if it doesn't, if it's not sticky enough, you add more a little flour and a little more breadcrumbs so it can make perfect little like golf ball sized balls. And then you roll those in your in your flour, egg wash, and then panko breadcrumbs, and you fry them until they're crispy golden brown. Toss them in buffalo sauce, and then you just dip them in your blue cheese, and you're good to go. And they were delightful. They were good. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Because you have to hide the taste of lake trout. Right. <laughs> Everything's good with buffalo sauce. Everything. And, you, and, and they were good. And, and in my house, I probably had 30 of those I made because the fish was so big and you get so much meat when you scrape with a spoon like that. Uh, and I'm the only one who ate them. 
So it took me a week to eat them all, but I, I ate that whole fish. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else liked them? No, no. Well, my, my, you know, Zoe, you know, Zoe, my daughter. Yeah. Uh, she ate one the night of, but she wasn't in love with them, you know, because we spoil her by feeding her, you know, good tasting fish. And right. so she's not interested in fish that has hiding flavor. She wants either to taste good or not taste good. And that's it. So she's, she, she'd rather eat a white perch or a crappie or even a largemouth bass, you know. Well, she would have loved the walleye and the sauger. Oh, she, she'd be all in on that kind of trip. So I'm going to have to try to find a way to get her out, out there before she's too cool to go fishing with her old man. <laughs> Does your daughter go do things with you, Tim? Is she too cool? You know, now and then she'll do things with me. Um, the, uh, she actually named the pond at our house, Half Heart Pond, when, when oh, I, she must have been like five years old at, at the time. So we, we got have matching hats that say Half Heart pond outfitters on them or does your but, hat uh, each have she, half a heart but the other half so you can lean in together for a photo when they match no that's no. a good idea yeah that's a good idea but um she doesn't fish too much now and then we'll uh, go out but you know the thing about this certainly wasn't roughing it riverbend resort is really nice but when you're fishing all day and you're in the fish house and you know it, it it's cold when you go outside um you have to want to be up there for the fishing but that's the great thing about people from minnesota they hunt and they fish and it's really a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So they're going all in on it. And I kind of, it's kind of, I like that, you know, rather than sit at home and watch television for four months, you might as well be out on the ice watching the game and catching fish at the same time. There it is. Well, it sounds like a great trip, Tim. And uh, I've been following your Facebook, your Lord loving Facebook. So a lot of pictures of that. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. That's really cool. Um, you want to stick around and, and, Make more podcasts with me? Sure. Let's do it. Before we get in the news, which we want to talk about today, but I do want to talk about Smitty Sleds. Have you heard of these things called Smitty Sleds? No, I looked it up. Is it like two skis on a sled? Yeah. So so there's actually a Facebook group called Smitty Sled Modifications or something like that. There's entire groups of people who love building sleds. And I... For fun, so I was telling my my Zoe, my eighth grade daughter, ninth grade daughter, about this, and she, I was describing it, and I, I said, "So we're going to build a smitty sled." And she goes, "Okay, what's a smitty sled?" I said, "It's it's a couple of skis on risers that you put your jet sled in, so you can go ice fishing in deep snow." She goes, "Dad, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're building a sled for a sled. How much did that jet sled cost you?" I said, "That's eighty dollars." She goes, "Why did you buy a jet sled if you're going to build a sled?" <laughs> who built a sled for a sled it's the dumbest it's a dad it's a stupid you're stupid for buying a sled and then building a sled for your sled so for fun i went on to one of those groups and i post on there i said has anyone ever thought about like maybe building these these spinny sleds is a great idea because it functionally works because jet sleds are terrible in snow they bog down they're heavy to pull and you'll rise them up on a couple of skis and there's no resistance but i said anyone thought about maybe has talked to Jet Sled and said, maybe you guys have a poor design. Like every ice fisherman on the planet uses these sleds, but we all know they suck for towing gear in snow. And I was amazed at how many people came out super defensive on Team Jet Sled as a perfect design for a sled. Yet they all had to build a sled for their sled. Huh. Yeah. People love their brands. They love their brands. They're so... I don't know if all outdoors people like this, but, but ice fishers are dedicated to their brands, and they were dedicated to this jet, jet sled. And how dare I beseech the brand jet sled? 
Now, do they have one that's a sled on a sled on a sled? So it's like a, a risers bed sled. I, I've seen one that had two. But Jim, they even take like. Um, have you seen the coffee tables that you can lift up and they rise up? And they've got these yeah. like spring loaded risers. Well, they build them. They build those on skis with their jet sleds, so, jet, so it can go up and down and fit in the back of their trucks better. Like they they spend hundreds of dollars to build a sled for a sled that costs a hundred bucks. <laughs> so that is just well. That's why you need one of these ice castles. Mm-hmm. They're only you know fifty, sixty, seventy grand. It's nothing. And all your gears in them, and you just drive the whole thing out under the ice. Yeah. Well, the smart thing about that. So I had a I had a camper I turned into an ice shack. That's the one that sank a couple of years ago, but it didn't have hydraulic lowering systems, so it was about fifteen inches up off the ice. And the challenge with not being directly on the ice with your ice shack is you have to drill a hole through the floor, but you have this air gap, and it's challenging. And then when you catch a fish, you've got to reel it up through that air gap, and sometimes it falls off the hook and slides under the camper. Then you've got to climb <laughs> on your belly under the camper to try and rescue this fish that slid under there. So I would love to fish in one of those things. That'd be so cool. That'd be so cool. All right, Tim, we're going to do some news, if that's good with you. You ready for this? That's good. All right. Yeah. I haven't pushed this button in a long time, so I can't remember which button it is. Is it this one? Nope, that's my fish sex button. Nope, that's my cheers. Nope. Wrong. Got it. <laughs> All right. The first thing, Tim, I want to talk about is actually an article we were talking about on Facebook just today. A giant sturgeon that was speared on Lake Winnebago, and it was one of the biggest ever caught. It was a 100-year-old fish, Tim. And my gut reaction, do you remember my gut reaction to this? Yeah, you weren't too pleased with it. No, and I, I get this kind of gut reaction whenever I see large fish that are caught for sport, not you know, not as like just, you know, I caught it while I was fishing for fun, and I, I, you know, I want to hang on my wall. So my, my initial reaction was like, stop killing the best examples of fish in a water body. You see this in, in, uh, in, in sporting fishing events all over the country where you have to catch the fish, and in order to get points for catching the big fish, you've got to kill the big fish, especially ice fishing. So initially, I was very defensive about this fish, and it's a huge fish. I think it's a monster. Yeah, they said just the caviar was 50 pounds. Right, and this is a 100-year-old animal. Um, and this is a huge tradition in Lake Winnebago in Wisconsin. People go out in their fish houses and they cut these big holes in the floor. And then they, they have to put a, um, a decoy in the water to attract the fish. And so I was, I was reading about how this kid, the kid's only uh, 22 years old, the kid who caught it. Um, he's been spearing fish since he was 12. And the water is very tannic, like you were describing. You can't really see a whole mm-hmm. lot in there. So my initial reaction is, like, if you're spearing fish, you can you could choose the size of the fish you're spearing. So maybe you want to spear smaller fish. That was my initial thought process. But they, they can't really tell how big the fish is. They can just tell it's there. And the way they tell it's there, did you, do you know how they tell it's there, Tim? Well, he used a fish finder. No, he used an underwater camera. Oh, he did? He did, but he still couldn't see the fish. But what he did, because the water's so cloudy, you can't see anything. He's only in about 12, 11 feet of water where, they, where okay. they do this. Is he put a white cup on the bottom of the lake that he could see from the underwater camera because it shines. It's like it reflective, right? So you can see that on the camera. You can't see anything else. Mm-hmm. And so when something swims over that white cup, the camera can't see the white cup anymore. All it sees is this kind of gray mass. 
and that's when you throw your spear. So it's kind of like a it's you you have to assume something is there because you can't see the thing you could see earlier, the white cup. And then so he threw the spear and he caught it right by the tail of this fish. And they started screaming for his friends. And all these people came from running from other ice shacks all over to come see this thing. And they wrestled out of the water up onto the ice. And boom, there it was, a 174-pound sturgeon. 100-year-old fish. It was just crazy, crazy big. Yeah, I kind of feel like you do. You know, if you, um, it seems like if you catch a fish with a hook, you at least have the option to let it go. And we were talking when I was up at Lake of the Woods about how great it is. You can take a picture of a fish and take mm-hmm. the dimensions and get an exact replica today. I mean, the replicas are we, better than 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 the skin mounts. They last longer. They, they look good. So yeah, they look great. You can have the same lure if it's a lure hanging out, or you, in this case, you can have the spearhead in there. But it is kind of sad when you see a, a, a fish that is so long, especially when you think about all the other sturgeons that that fish had produced. Oh sure. With, well. So, so I did my due diligence on this because sturgeon out here are a very rare fish. In New Hampshire, we have sturgeon in the mouths of some of our rivers. They're sea run, like anatomists, and they're extremely rare. We don't have anything in fresh water like that. So I'm very defensive for these really rare fish. But I did a little bit of research. It turns out on this lake particularly, there's a huge conservation wind. When this lake has tens of thousands of sturgeon in it, it is unbelievable how much sturgeon in this lake. They're saying, uh, I forget the number exactly, I think it was 33,000 or 34,000 sturgeon estimated to be in that lake. Yeah, 35,000 is how much. And there's no other lake in the world with a population that strong. So now, knowing that, I'm more okay with this because it's not struggling in that water body. Right. And Lake of the Woods was the same way. So Lake of the Woods... Alex Peterson, who was one of the guides during this up here, he caught 45 sturgeon last year. He guides for sturgeon. That's mm-hmm. his favorite fish. Oh, yeah. Um, and he said there are days when you catch, you know, 10, 20, 30 fish. Good Lord. But out there, I believe you can only harvest one per license year. Right. And um, it has to be like 45 to 50 inches of slot limits. You can keep like a, a monster one, but you can't keep a lot of them. Uh, so most of them are just catch and release. Right. Right, and that makes more sense to me. Um, this in this lake, it was illegal in 1915 in in uh, in, in this state to uh, to fish for them because they were nearly gone extinct, and they they kept them shut down until 1932, and then slowly they started coming back. It takes it takes 14 to 20 years before a, a male sturgeon is old enough to spawn, and 20 to 30 years for a female to spawn. So they have to really wow. they had to work really hard to protect them, but because of the conservation wind here. I think they're okay. And the other thing, so you think about it, like, oh, but other lakes don't have very many sturgeon. Sturgeon aren't moving to the other lakes. So, that, so the, whatever they do in this one lake is not impacting my sturgeon out here where we don't have very many. So I have to kind of like let go of some of that stuff. That's what I was surprised about. I thought when he said he was a sturgeon guide, it was the type of thing where you'd go out and you'd catch a, you know, one fish every two weeks or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. But he said they there's just a lot of them there. Now, a lot of them are smaller, but he said they're, when you get one of the big ones, it's quite a fight. Yeah, but I, now I want to go try it. But, you know, still, I'm not sure I want to go spirit. So, I, again, because of the catch release aspect, you can't, it just, it doesn't make sense to me. Now, I have, have you ever been spear fishing before? I never have. So, we, when I was on the quest to catch and eat every kind of freshwater fish in New Hampshire, I, we could spear fish for white suckers when they're spawning. That's the only time you can spear them in New Hampshire. 
And I went out and speared this huge female. She's probably 36 inches long. And it was really fun. Like, I mean, like a kind of fun I can't describe. My urge to just go and spear them all came. Like, I was like, oh, I'm going to go get them. Uh, I had to fight it. <laughs> just kill the one we're going to eat. But uh, it, it's really fun. So I can see why people enjoy that kind of sport. But I, I think. Now, did the, the tip of your spear come off? Because I was surprised with this guy, once he spears it, the the spear tip releases and then he had it on a line and had to like bring it in hand over hand right that's designed that way for those big fish yeah for a white sucker that maybe weighs five pounds you just spear it and pick it up <laughs> so <laughs> it's a little bit different and they squirt eggs everywhere so yeah no his his was designed to break off and then he had to have him and some friends fight this thing in. and they had it by the tail too so it wasn't like this thing didn't have some strength left in it you know if he had speared it in the head or somewhere where it might die fast you know, maybe wouldn't have been as strong, but it seems like a good time. Crazy. Yeah. So I, I had to roll back my opinion a little bit. Sometimes I do that. I, I react and then I do some homework and I take a breath and I'm like, oh, I, I, can, uh, I guess it's okay. <laughs> and they're, I guess they're good eating. They look they like food. They them mm-hmm. and they, I guess they are very good. Yeah. Well, he's not eating that one. He's having that one mounted. Yeah, he's going to have to get a bigger house to find he's put gonna, that on the wall. That's right. He's very proud of himself. <laughs> All right. We need to talk about fish sentience, fish, fish recognizing themselves in mirrors. I don't know if you saw this article or not, but the headline is, fish cleaning themselves in a mirror may have just demonstrated self-awareness. Now, we've seen this in fish before. Doc Martin and I did a show about this month where they did this test using a, um, a little fish. I can't remember the fish they used. I think it was like a like a tiger fish or something like that, but they put a little blue dot in the fish and it would go to the mirror and recognize it and try to wipe it off. And, and now they're finding that other fish also have the same thing. A new experiment using cleaner fish um, that was published in PLOS Biology, um, we're, we're testing this out. And I'm trying, I'm trying to remember how they put, a, they put a brown mark on the cleaner fish and it triggered them to scrape their throats when they spot it in the reflection. So that shows self-awareness. And self-awareness is how humans used to say that's how you could tell you know, an animal that thinks from just a normal animal you can eat. And now fish are showing that self-awareness. Can you imagine how embarrassed that fish must have been when he saw himself? <laughs> the other fish are saying, you've had that in your face for 12 years. <laughs> you got something in your teeth, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must, must have been terrible. <laughs> yeah. But, but, they, but they took 18 fish, right? And, they, and they, they marked them all with the same thing. And 17 of the 18 recognized something wrong in the mirror. That's a 94% uh, rate of accuracy. Hmm. That's crazy. Now, we had Jonathan Balcom on the show, gosh, three, four years ago. He wrote the book, What a Fish Knows. And he mm-hmm. talked about fish being sentient animals with thoughts and emotions and all that sort of thing. So... This all kind of feeds into that idea that fish have feelings. And at, as, and at least what you think, maybe fish just have feelings of embarrassment or shyness. Very interesting. Yeah, so there yeah. it is. I'm waiting for them to invent a mirror that I can't see myself in. I think that <laughs> no, would, be, that would be better for me. Yeah, mine are just all like fogged up all the time, so I don't look. I gave up. When I, when I turned about 40, I decided, you know what, mirror's not a good idea. 
Do you think the the one fish that didn't take it off just thought it was a beauty mark and kind of liked it? I think he dug it. I think, oh man, that looks good on me. <laughs> because the difference is, you guys, I make this look good. Yeah. <laughs> I am rocking this brown spot. All right, and and we'd be remiss if we didn't revisit the story of the year from your state of Ohio. We have to go there. You're in Ohio, right? I am Dayton, Ohio. All right. So, um, well. You heard about the mayor of a small city in Ohio who had to resign because he was fighting people putting fish houses on a lake, and his argument against putting fish houses on the lake were it's going to cause problems with prostitution. Did you hear the right. story? And to do, to do good investigative journalism, Clay, mm-hmm. I went up to Minnesota, mm-hmm. and I asked them about this. And in 1988, there were similar stories there. Yeah. And I asked them, I said, do you think this is true? And they said, it is absolutely true because the prostitutes from Canada come over to all the lodges and there's 4,000 ice houses, including many sleepers. Mm -hmm. So I think what should have happened, so that mayor resigned, I think everybody else in Ohio should have resigned. Right. And we should have made him governor because he he, it seemed far-fetched, but in Minnesota, they said, no, that's not far-fetched at all. Because right. remember, these ice houses, so many of them have sleepers. Right. And it's right on the Canadian border. So I don't. At, originally, everybody thought he was crazy, but I'm thinking maybe he was the prophetic one. Well, you just changed my mind on this because I was thinking he was crazy. <laughs> and now, but, but, but also as part of me thinking it's not a bad idea. It's cold in those fish houses, you know. Well, the pop, yeah, the pop-ups definitely, I, I haven't fished out of a pop-up, but I'm mm-hmm. guessing they're colder because- the ones in Minnesota are just glorious. You know, the they're they're like campers. Mm-hmm. When you when I first went in, you, it was like eighty degrees inside there. Right. So uh, yeah, but boy, he resigned. That he resigned as mayor. It was mostly a ceremonial um, position. Right. Um, but I've never seen a story like that get such national and international news coverage. It was kind of funny how many people were interested in it. It is, and it's funny because I listened to a podcast called the Savage Love Podcast. It's a uh, uh, Dan Savage puts it out, and he opened up his show, and he talked about this story, and he said, first of all, it would never happen, which is wrong, but second of all, he said that ice fishing is no fun, also wrong. So Very wrong. So yeah, he's wrong. So now we know both prostitutes and ice fishing are fun, and they go together like chocolate and peanut butter, so <laughs> you heard it here first. Now, I've never seen a prostitute on a lake, though. I, I don't usually see very many females on the lake. <laughs> Not that you have to be female to be a prostitute, but maybe I've been seeing prostitutes and been expecting the wrong sex the whole time. Well, in Minnesota, one of the interesting things is because fishing is so big, they actually try to estimate every year how many angling hours there were on the ice. Mm-hmm. But they fish all night. So sometimes you go up and they'll fish for three days at a time. So guess how many angling hours there were last year that they estimate just on the ice, not oh, in the summer. Okay. So let's, let's kind of do some fish math here. So let's say you get on the ice. It's thick enough to put those, those big shacks are heavy. You got to bring a truck out to get those out there. So let's say you get out there January 1st. And respectively, you could probably fish, keep those out there till mid-March. Right? So January 1st, mid-March. We'll put that, let's call it uh, eight, 10 weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And 10 weeks has... How many days in it? That is uh, 14, 20, uh, 
How many? Seven times 10. 70. <laughs> so, <laughs> I lost my math. So fish math is hard. So 70 days of ice fishing, right? With 24 mm-hmm. hours in a day. So that would make it uh, seven times 20, 200. Uh, we have a calculator. <laughs> so, so if we get my abacus out here and we have seven times 200 and... I lost more math here. So 30. So it was 70 times 70 24 hours, you times said? 24 hours. That's 1,680. Yes. That's it. That's how many. Oh, tie, now it ties how many fishers go out there. Yeah. So you said 4,000. 4,000 a, a day, day. they estimate. Oh, good Lord. So 6,720. That's only one day of fishing. No, that's not right. Times yeah. 80. I'll just, we'll just cut to the. There's a lot. Two point seven million angling hours in in about three or four months. Yeah, that's what, that's what I came up with. Yeah. I, forgot, I forgot to carry <laughs> the, it exactly right. I forgot to carry the one. <laughs> no, it's just crazy because people go out there for th- you know three or four days, and some if you have one of these uh, ice palaces, ice castles, you might have you know four or five people in there. Mm-hmm. So it's just a crazy way of life, but. I highly recommend it. I will definitely be back there again. Maybe I would, we'll, we'll have to see if we can get up there at the same time and we'll fish together up there. You know what we can do, Tim? I got a plan. So a lot of like, I have a friend who makes a fly fishing magazine, right? Fly Fish America. And he does these retreats for Fly Fish America. And what happens is, is he books at all the hotels and the fishing guides. And then the, the readers of the magazine book these fishing trips through Fly Fish America magazine, right? But mm-hmm. he has to go on that trip as the host. But he doesn't pay anything. He gets paid to go. We need That's to good. we need to combine podcast forces. Like the Legion of Justice. So you're saying I could get paid to sit in the igloo bar and drink beer and fish? Doesn't that sound like a delight? Yeah, I'm I'm paid, in. and your listeners, your fans of your podcast will be the ones paying for it. Now, the question is, do you have enough listeners yet to make that happen? Because the fish nerds, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's a secret number well, i i think they should call the fish nerds hotline and, and let you know if they're interested in doing that i'll tell you what it was the great thing was in the bar every night we had a whole bunch of outdoor writers and the guides there and it was just great talking about fishing all day catching fish swapping stories and especially the people that grew up there you just it made you realize what a beautiful area. You can see the northern lights from there some of the time. Amazing. And while we didn't get out on the ice at the night, they said there's no light pollution out there. And so it's one of the most amazing places to see the night sky in the country. That sounds great. Tim, I'm so glad you shared that with us tonight. And uh, I look forward to hearing more about it on your podcast, the Lure Love Podcast with John King, the crappy hippie, one of my favorite humans. I love him. And uh, your podcast is wonderful. So make sure everyone's tuned in to the Lure Love podcast. And it's, just, it's a ton of fun. We'll see you there. All right. All right. So that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Big thanks to Tim Beat. Tim, excuse me, Tackle Box Beat for coming on the fish nerds tonight. Thanks to Wally Pleasant for our theme music, Diane's Bath Salts for the news theme. And of course, um, until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Do you remember the code of the fish nerds, Tim? I can't even remember my the, my own code, <laughs> let alone your code. Okay, well, it's uh, it, you, you hit it. it what, spawn early and often, and never trust a free lunch of strings attached, and swim against the current 
every chance you get. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. It's a podcast.